from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. It came back with um, a test of 25 micrograms per deciliter, which was um, five times the, the level that the CDC said was dangerous at that time. Um, in some ways, the response to lead poisoning is reactive. Why is it still so prevalent in our environment? It's really what I want um, a better answer to than what I feel like I have, which is just that it's hard to get rid of. I'm Sarah Fenske. Today, a new journalism series kicks off. It's spearheaded by NPR's Midwest Newsroom and the nonprofit Missouri Independent. The six-month project will look at the toll of lead poisoning throughout the Midwest. And Missouri is one state that is seeing particular focus from the reporters. Allison Kite is the lead reporter on this project. She is a data journalist for the Missouri Independent, and she joins us today. Allison Kite, welcome. Thanks, Sarah. It's good to be here. So, Allison, you start your story uh, with Lisa Pascoe. She was living in St. Louis when her son tested positive for elevated lead levels. What did she learn about how he'd been exposed? Yeah, so um, she went, took her son to the pediatrician, um, had no reason to suspect um, elevated blood lead levels, and they recommended a lead test. And it came back with um, a test of 25 micrograms per deciliter, which was um, five times the the level that the CDC said was dangerous at that time. Um, and some inspectors came out to look at their home and determined that it was the old lead paint on um, the windows of the house on the outside. When they opened and closed those windows, that made um, dust out of the lead paint that settled in the soil, um, and her son would play in in the uh, the yard in front of that window, and that turned out to be how he was exposed. So he had these highly elevated levels. What's the risk of having elevated levels of lead in the blood? I'm so sorry, Sarah. You cut out for me there for a second. Can you repeat that question? Yeah, we must be having some internet problem here today. It does happen. Um, what is the risk that comes with having elevated lead levels? Oh, sure. Yeah, there are a variety of of ways it can present um, developmental delays. Um, In the case of Lisa's son, uh, ADHD, um, aggression, it can increase your risk of uh, mortality from cardiovascular disease later in life. Um, It it can result in the loss of IQ points. Um, And there's also a link between uh, lead poisoning and um, criminality. So how big of a problem is this in the Midwest? Sure. So in um, Missouri's latest online report, which was uh, ending in the summer of 2018, there were um, about 2,500 kids who tested with elevated blood lead levels. Um, So, you know, but in the four states that we're looking at, several thousand kids experience this every year. Um, So even though, you know, we've known that lead is toxic for for centuries and we've banned it in in new paint and in um, gasoline for our cars for decades you know we're still dealing with this very major um, 
legacy-led problem. Yeah, I mean, as you say there, there have been some real attempts to deal with this. It isn't like people are saying, okay, this isn't a problem. Like, they took lead out of gas. You're not supposed to to paint your house with with uh, lead-based paint anymore. So this is just coming from residual sources, things like paint that's already there on the windows. Yeah, um, paint is far and away the, the um, largest um, threat um, Lead in water from old lead water pipes um, is another one. Contaminated soil from when there was lead in gasoline, you know, would um, burn and and go into the atmosphere and then settle in the soil. Um, Imported spices and some household products can be a problem. And then uh, lead is still allowed in fuel for small airplanes. Um, So it can be an issue of contamination near smaller airports as well. Hmm. Um, So those are kind of the the primary pathways. And so there has been this major attempt to crack down on this. And so I think of, uh, you know, my fellow 70s kids, people who grew up before this crackdown. You had a great quote in your story. This is from Bruce Lanfear. He's a longtime I'm a researcher and professor at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver. He asks, how could it be that in the 70s, virtually by today's standards, all kids were lead poisoned? Is this a problem for adults um, across the Midwest, across the U.S.? And they just don't even realize that this is what caused some of the problems they have. Yeah, there was a um, a study last year that found, I think, about um, half of Americans living today were exposed to dangerous lead levels um, in their childhood. Um, on average, folks between um, the 50s and 1980 um, lost about uh, two and a half IQ points uh, because of lead. And IQ is, um, you know, a flawed uh indicator but mm-hmm. in some ways but um but yeah it's it it was a major problem for um kind of the 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 boomer and gen x generations you have a devastating quote in this story once a kid is exposed to lead it is not reversible so this is something where if if you find out you know your kid has tested high for this this is something where they could have these problems no matter what you do next Certainly. And, uh, you know, there are there are things that you can do to um, decrease your absorption of lead, a, a healthy diet, lots of vitamins and minerals can can help um, if you're exposed to lead to to keep it from absor- your body from absorbing it. But, um, yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, kids that are exposed to lead might need some um, educational support, special education, um, things like that. So you talked, uh, again, this story starts with this woman, Lisa Pascoe, you know, living in St. Louis, realizes that her kid, through no fault of hers, has gotten this pretty severe lead poisoning. This was back in 2012, so 10 years have passed. How is he doing today? Yeah, so he... um you know, like like I mentioned, has um, ADHD. Um, you know, I think they've put a a lot of uh, work into getting him the support that he needs to do well in school. Um, but it, it uh, could be a lifelong struggle in some regards. And it sounds like this is something that for his mother, this is just foremost on her mind. She's had some some other kids. She's thinking about this nonstop. Certainly, yeah. They, um, uh, her family, eventually moved out of St. Louis City to St. Louis County. Um, they continue to test um, her younger daughter's toys and 
crayons to make sure that they're not bringing lead into the house. They're, you know, cautious about going over to family and friends' houses if they're renovating. Um, you know, they're in very vigilant compared to most parents um, when it comes to comes to lead. And so we talked a bit about how they've now banned lead in in many of these places where kids used to be exposed. Are local governments being proactive about this issue going forward when it comes to things like testing for what's already there in the environment? Sure. So that's something that we definitely want to take a closer look at. But um, what I can say now is it it does vary. For example, um, I believe St. Louis County, um, if there, if a child has a blood lead level of 10 micrograms per deciliter or above, um, they will come to a home inspection. Um, here in Kansas City, where I live, I believe you can you can get a test kit from the health department um, to test some spots in your home yourself. Um, in Omaha, Nebraska, um, if your house is built before uh, 1978, you can request a test before your child has been exposed to lead. Um, And that was one of the points that a a public health official in Nebraska made is that um, in some ways, the response to lead poisoning is reactive. um, And you're, you know, fixing these problems after a kid has already been harmed, instead of fixing them before the kid has the opportunity to be exposed to lead. So this story that you published today, we want to encourage people, you can see this at stlpr.org. There's also an audio version. You can hear that on St. Louis Public Radio. I'm sure that'll be playing again this afternoon. You can also check that podcast version there on our website. So this was your first story. Where is this project going to go from here? Sure. So I think my um, driving question is, this is a toxin that we've known as dangerous for centuries. Why is it still so prevalent in our environment? It's really what I want um, a better answer to than what I feel like I have, which is just that it's hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's kind of where I'd like to go. And then, you know, examining the, the impacts it's had on generations of kids in the Midwest. So that's going to be a lot to look at. We're going to keep an eye on this as it continues. Allison Kite, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. It was an honor. And Allison is a data reporter for the Missouri Independent and the Kansas Reflector with a focus on the environment and agriculture. You can read her story. It was co-written by Niara Savage of NPR's Midwest Newsroom. That's at stlpr.org. Today's episode was produced by Sarah Fenske with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.